Well, we're so glad to be able to continue our study in the Gospel of John. And uh, I want to see if we have any history buffs here. The die is cast. Who knows where that comes from? Anybody? No, but it's a famous person like Winston Churchill. Those words were actually uttered um, by Julius Caesar as he was getting ready to cross the Rubicon into Italy um, to uh, invade Italy to fight against Pompeii with the long protracted civil war. And uh, the phrase has has basically come to, to be understood as that there is a point of no return. You know, once he stepped foot, he crossed over, can't go back now. And in John chapter 12, I think we are going to find that this saying is equally true of Jesus. He is entering Jerusalem, and there is no turning back. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time together here this morning. Uh, Thank you for your word and what it has to teach us uh, about you, about ourselves, about your will for us. And I pray this morning as we look at this familiar story um, that, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be encouraged um, to really uh, live for you, to surrender uh, to your lordship. And, Lord, that there would be many more lovers of Jesus in your kingdom as a result of our obedience. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Celebrating Jesus as king means nothing unless we properly understand his kingdom and that we have surrendered to his kingship. I'm going to say that a few times during this message, and I, and I hope the point will, will, will come through, and I really hope that we see that in the text this morning. But we're picking up now in chapter 12, uh, verse, verse 12, and it's the day after Mary anointed Jesus for his burial. And the crowd that came for the Passover, the crowd that was wondering, is Jesus going to show? Well, they get word that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So they prepared to welcome him. Now, the section of scripture we're going to read this morning is about the triumphal entry. And it's one of the few events in scripture that's actually recorded in all four of the gospels. And of course, each gospel includes a little bit more information. John doesn't spend a lot of time here, um, but it's jam-packed with with good stuff. So um, this morning, as we read the text, we're going to encounter three groups of people. And these three groups of people did not understand the significance of this day. They didn't really understand the importance or the meaning behind it. And so those three groups are the Jews, the the disciples, and the Romans. So let's take a look at uh, John chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Starting in verse 12. And for some reason, it's beeping. There we go. Now we can go back one slide. Now I'll go forward one slide. There we go. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This is, a, this is an amazing couple of verses here. You know, we, we think of palm branches. Every Palm Sunday, you know, we hand out palm branches. Well, there's a reason why we do that that might be lost on us as a, um, as a people living in 2022. But back then, palm branches were a symbol of victory and kingship. They were an emblem of nationalistic zeal. And it conveyed the idea of victory over one's enemies. And in waving the palm branches, the people here were actually declaring that Jesus was king. And you see that right there. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Luke makes it even clearer in Luke chapter 19. He says, blessed is the king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the term Hosanna that is often used uh, even today in some circles and some of the songs that we sing is, is become more of just kind of an exclamation of praise or, or just a, a shout of praise. But the word literally means to save now or save us, we pray. And so as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, they're crying out to their king to save them. But from what, you may ask? Good question. Before we get there, I want to draw your attention to a psalm that I didn't know um, was going to be read this morning, but it's Psalm 118. Uh, Trevor's already brought us there. In verse 25, we read, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Verse 26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So you see now where that shout of Hosanna came from. It came right from here in Psalm 118. So let's talk about the people. Let's talk about the Jews for just a moment. The people recognize Jesus as king. I, wa I want you to see that. In their shouts of acclamation, in the waving of the palm branches, they were acknowledging Jesus as king. But their understanding of his kingship was a far cry from that of Jesus. The Jews were looking for a king who would free them from Roman oppression. They were looking to see the kingdom of Israel reestablished to its former glory. They were hoping, if you would, for insurrection of sorts. By, by the way, I think that word is being used an awful lot today. Um, and frivolously, I might add. Um, I, how many of you guys read the Babylon Bee? Um, okay. There were a couple of uh, neat things. There was one um, that I thought I just got to share with you here. I, I kind of tweaked it a little bit for this morning so as to not offend uh, too many people. Um, but it, 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 the, the headline speaks about the January 6th hearings uh, put on pause. Committee members have temporarily pushed pause on the January 6th hearings about an insurrection against a branch of the federal government to lead an insurrection against the federal government. Certain members of Congress raced to join the crowd surrounding the Supreme Court building. Rigged, rigged, 
It's a rigged decision. One senator shouted, we will never abide by an illegitimate decision by an illegitimate court. Fight, fight. I thought, ah, there's a lot of truth to that. And then this one came out not too long ago. British Parliament forms July 4th Commission to investigate colonial insurrection. The British Parliament has convened for an emergency session to investigate the events of July 4th, 1776 in the colonies across the Atlantic. Sources indicate an illegal insurrection took place there that cost many lives. So you can see, you know, we can use words and, and they just... They just don't mean what we think that they mean. We use them frivolously. And, and, and you know, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was not an insurrection. Even though later the religious leaders would use that argument. But the Jews did want their country back. And that was the whole point here. And who could blame them? But, but their expectations of Jesus were misguided. And I think that's, that's the rub for us. Are our expectations for Jesus misguided? They were looking for a political and military savior, and Jesus was neither. And unfortunately, Christians today can make a similar mistake without even realizing it. Alistair Begg said this. He says, we want a Jesus and we want a king who will do for us nationally what we think ought to happen. Now, I believe Christians ought to vote. Christians ought to run for political office. We ought to fight for what is right and good. But we cannot forget that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. You know, the way that some Christians talk, you, you would think they don't understand this. They're looking for heaven on earth, and it's never going to happen. The United States, America, is not the new Israel. Washington, D.C. is not the new Jerusalem. It's not. Many Christians are, are looking for a heaven-sent political savior. Someone who will restore our nation to its greatness or holiness. If only those people got as worked up about the spiritual condition of the people around them as they are the state of our country. See, the reality is, is that if we, were, if we were more concerned about the spiritual condition of the people who live around us, who we work with, and even our family members, a lot of the problems in our country would probably go away in time. See, Jesus didn't come to lead an insurrection and set up an earthly kingdom. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to save people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. His kingdom transcends borders, ethnicities, political parties, and time itself. His is an eternal spiritual kingdom. He said in a few chapters that we'll get to, John 18, this is what Jesus said about his kingdom. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Folks, we need to remember that. The solution to our nation's problem is not electing uh, Christian politicians or appointing conservative Supreme Court justices. The solution is the gospel. And the reason why the solution is the gospel is because the problem is sin. And the gospel is the only remedy for it. It tells us it's only through the blood of Christ that our sin can be dealt with. Celebrating Jesus as king means nothing unless we properly understand his kingdom and have surrendered to his kingship. Let's continue reading verse 14. It says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. And just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered the things that had been written about him and had been done to him. Now the phrase daughter of Zion is really a poetic way of referring to the people of Jerusalem and the city itself because the city was built on Mount Zion. And what I find fascinating here is that Jesus had no need to ride into Jerusalem. I mean, think about his ministry and where he walked. This guy was in good shape. He walked and he walked and he walked. And for some reason, and he walked all the way back from Ephraim, back to Bethany, and now he's coming to Jerusalem. And for some reason, he, he needs a ride. <laughs> he needs to get on a donkey here. And I think this ought to tell us that this was meant to convey something. It was meant to communicate something here. Most people, in fact, walked into the city, and especially during the Passover, you can imagine how crowded that it was. But what Jesus was communicating to the people is, is that he is the king of Israel, and he has come to bring peace Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem on a chariot. He didn't come on a war horse. He came on a donkey. He wore no crown. He had no sword. Instead, he rode into Jerusalem on a young donkey, which was a sign of peace. And in so doing, Jesus fulfilled promise, uh, prophecy, and he proved that he was the Messiah, the king of Israel. Now, if you look at verse 15, verse 15 is a paraphrase of Zechariah 9, 9. And I'm going to read verse 9, but I'm also going to read verse 10. I don't have it up on the screen. But it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. 
and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Verse 10 makes it abundantly clear that King Jesus also rode into Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace. Now, the significance of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was not only missed by the Jews, it was also ignored by the Romans. Evidently, they didn't perceive Jesus to be much of a threat. Otherwise, they, they would have been there. They would have dispersed the crowd. They would have arrested Jesus. But they're not mentioned. And it's as if they're not even aware of what's going on. And when you understand the nature of some of the triumphal entries that occurred in, in Rome, you could understand why they would not think this was uh, too big of a deal here in Jerusalem. You know, compared to the pomp and circumstance of, of, of um, you know, Roman parades. You know, we, you, some of you guys were in the Pickerington Parade. You know, we're going to have our Labor Day Parade. I tell you, those parades are nothing compared to what happened here. But what happened here is nothing compared to what happens in Rome. After winning a battle or a war, a Roman general will en would enter Rome with great fanfare. They weren't usually allowed to bring their entire army in, but they would come in with troops they would come in with a train of, of captives who are now slaves, defeated armies that they are now bringing in as trophies. And they would also come in with the plunder that they have uh, taken from the cities that they captured. And you would have the, the Roman general wearing a, 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 a laurel wreath or a crown on his head. Trumpets would be blaring left and right. And of course, Rome was a much larger city, and the parade happened well outside the city and into the city, right into the Roman Forum. It was a big deal. So you can imagine Pilate and the, the Romans here, yeah, they're aware of what's going on, but it was no big deal. They just simply... Ignored it. I mean, after all, what kind of king rides into a city on a donkey? Right? Where is his laurel wreath and crown? Where is his army? Where is his trophies? Where's the plunder? Nowhere. This is no big deal. Jesus was no threat to them, so they simply ignored him. Unfortunately, once again, just like we can be like the Jews, we can also be like the Romans. We too can ignore Jesus, but we do so at our own peril. Jesus is the creator of the universe. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the judge of all the earth, and one day we're told he will return to judge the living and the dead. We can't afford to dismiss his claims on our lives. We can't afford to ignore Jesus. You know, to, to just think it, you know, it's, yeah, Jesus is okay. That's fine. I go to church every once in a while. And not really understand his kingship over your life. 
Now, I've heard it said that Jesus is, is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You can't, you can't say, Jesus, I'll allow you to be Lord of my life in this area, but not in this area. I'll surrender to you here, but I'm not going to surrender to you there. Or, or worse, I'll take you as Savior, but I don't want you as Lord. Jesus is both Savior and Lord. I want to talk about one more group of people. The Jews and the Romans weren't the only ones that didn't understand the significance of this day. Neither did the disciples. Do you see that? John tells us that he and the other disciples did not understand these things. They didn't fully understand what was going on. Now, you have to understand something. They, they believed that Jesus was the Christ. They believed that he was the Messiah. If you look back... Just in John, but you can look in the other Gospels as well. They made some amazing professions about Jesus. They believed that he was the Messiah. They confessed that he was the Son of God and the King of Israel. So, so what didn't they get? I think it's found in the word glorified. I don't believe that they understood how Jesus would be glorified. Now, right as I say that, I'm sure something's popping into your head. We're going to talk about that next week. So hold on to that thought. Now, I want to encourage some of you here this morning with this text. Because uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, the longer I walk with Jesus, um, the more frustrated I get with myself. Because <laughs> I feel like I should be further along than I am. And I just realized the other day, I'm 41 years old in the Lord. So I'm still a young guy. Um, but after 41 years, I think I'd know more. I'd understand better. My, I would, my life would look more like Jesus than, than it does. And as I read this passage here, I'm thinking, you know, the disciples were with Jesus for three years. I mean, with Jesus, okay? I got Eric, okay? <laughs> but three years, they ate and slept, they ministered, they heard him preaching. They, I mean, it's just amazing, just amazing. And yet they did not fully understand. Even after the resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the disciples still didn't have complete understanding. And guess what? Neither will you. Neither will I. The, the disciples still had to read the scriptures. They had to study the scriptures. They had to pray. They discussed with one another. Sometimes they debated with one another, trying to discern and understand what God's will was they had to wrestle with difficult issues. We read about those in the book of Acts. Guess what? We have to do the same. But, but, but here's the thing. Jesus accepted his disciples even though they didn't fully understand. And Jesus accepts you. And he accepts me. 
Now, that's not an excuse for us to get lazy and not study and not learn and not grow in our understanding. But I, for one, am so thankful that God's acceptance of me is not based on how smart I am. Because I'm not the sharpest tool in the garage. Shed, excuse me. <laughs> Prove my point. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm not that smart. I don't know that much. And the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And I had, a, I had a professor once that told me, he said, listen, definition of education, education is what's left after you've forgotten what you've learned. So even, even the stuff that I've learned, I have forgotten and I have to relearn again. But Jesus loves me still. He accepts me still. That's what grace is all about. Well, let's conclude our time this morning by just looking at uh, our last three verses. Uh, Verse uh, 17 says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now the crowd here is actually made up of two subgroups. The locals who had been with Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead and the out-of-towners. The locals continued to testify what Jesus had done. I mean, how could they not? I mean, if you lived in Bethany, you knew Lazarus. You knew Mary and Martha. And no doubt you would have learned that Lazarus was sick. Very sick. And at some point, you would have learned that Lazarus had died. You would have heard mourning, loud wails coming from the household. The place would have been flooded with people, with relatives and friends. Lazarus was dead for four days. So there would have been four days of mourning. And then Jesus would come into town, which would have also attracted attention. And the next thing you know, Lazarus is up and walking around and eating dinner at Simon's house. None of this happened in secret. And so those who were there saw this and they continued to bear witness of this to anyone who would listen to them. The out-of-town guests went to meet Jesus because they heard from the locals what Jesus has done. They wanted to see Jesus and Lazarus for themselves. Now, don't miss this point. I mentioned last week that Jesus' fame had spread far and wide. And I said what made it so amazing is that there were no newspapers, no radio and TV. There was no social media. There were no planes, trains, and automobiles. I mentioned all of that. Well, we can add to that list. There were no billboards, no telephones, no messaging apps. 
The only way that these people could have known that Jesus was coming was by word of mouth. And although I am very thankful for technology and what it can do for us in in sharing the gospel and spreading the gospel and encouraging the saints, there is no substitute for word of mouth. And as Christians, we are God's mouthpiece. People will not know because I, I'll tell you, I don't know many non-Christians who are looking for a Christian radio station to listen to or a, a Christian TV program to watch. But they are looking for Christians to live the Christian life, to live what they say that they believe. And if we did that, if we do that, and if we testify to what Jesus has done for us, there's hope. They may want to come and see Jesus. They may want to come and check out our church. But it'll never happen if we don't open up our mouth, if we don't share. These people did. I like what John says in the book of Revelation. He says, and they have conquered him, that is the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Do you have a testimony? When when was the last time you shared it with someone? Especially a non-Christian. Last night at at the men's event, uh, Jared Rossiter shared his testimony with, with uh, 43 guys, apparently. Well, 42. You're one of the... And, um, but he didn't just share words. He shared his heart. And it was compelling. And as I sat there and listened to you, I, I try sometimes to wonder, I wonder what other people are thinking. Because I know how this is hitting me, you know. And you just have to think, Wow. It's powerful. It's compelling. And, and, and I think that's what we see here in this text. If, if you're here this morning, you're a Christ follower, and you have not already done so, I, I would urge you to write out your personal testimony and write it out in such a way that non-Christians can understand. It, it does no good for non-Christians to hear us talk about, you know, um, being washed in the blood of the lamb. <laughs> I think I shared with you guys not too, maybe it was a long time ago, so some of you haven't heard this, but when I first became a Christian, um, I would go home and visit my parents, and I would uh, play my Christian music as loud as I could, thinking that maybe my parents will hear this and want to become Christians too. Well, um, where I lived, um, you only had um, a driveway separating you from your house to the next door neighbor's house. And I had the window open and I'm playing an old song by Petra called Killing My Old Man. And, and, there's a, and there's a lyric in there that says, I'm killing my old man. You may not understand. He's a terrible man, you know? And, and I happened to walk by the window, and I looked out, and I saw my neighbor looking at me like, like I was a serial killer. 
And, you know, but the longer you've walked with Jesus, the harder it is to get out of that Christian bubble using Christianese to speak in a language that the common person understands. So this, this, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, in fact, right now we've got four people that are working on developing their personal testimonies for the upcoming baptismal service. So I'm excited about that. And if you, if you want help, I've I got a packet. I can give it to you. Be, I'd love to help you do that. So as the locals continued to bear witness, the Pharisees grew more agitated and they concluded that everybody had lost their mind. In their estimation, it seemed to them that the whole world was flocking to Jesus. And despite all of their evil scheming, there was nothing that they could do about it. They couldn't keep others from coming to Jesus. Their plotting gained them nothing. For Jesus, the die was cast. There was no turning back now. He is on his way to the cross. And I want to remind those of you who have received Christ that have been born again by the Spirit of God, who have put your hand to the plow, there is no turning back for you either. We must live in obedience to God in his word and to share the gospel with all who are willing to hear. I believe John included this um, story for us here in the gospel so that we would know that Jesus is our rightful king. He is worthy of our love. He's worthy of our allegiance. He is worthy of our very lives. Now remember, the Jews who cried out, Hosanna! They got the words right. But they did not understand the significance or the purpose of Jesus riding into Jerusalem that day. Nor did they understand his kingship over their lives. Do you? Celebrating Jesus as king means nothing unless we properly understand his kingdom and have surrendered to his kingship. Without a proper understanding of the kingdom of Jesus and the implications of it for our lives, our devotion is nothing more than superficial. Superficial devotion. That's all that it is. So we need to contemplate his kingdom. And I want to close with this challenge. Jesus came the first time as a suffering servant. He came to lay down his life so that we might be redeemed. He died in our place on the cross so that we could be forgiven and be brought into the family of God. But the next time Jesus comes, it will not be as a lamb but as a lion. He will not come in humility or frail humanity. He will come in glory as a mighty warrior with the armies of heaven. He will not be riding on, the, on a donkey. He'll be riding on the clouds of heaven. 
He will come in victory and establish his kingdom forever. I urge you, if you have not yet surrendered to King Jesus, do so today before you leave. Go to him in prayer. Confess your sins to him. Ask him to forgive you, to come into your life and to make you a new creation. To put his spirit within you to make you his child. He will do that if you're willing to surrender to King Jesus. For those of you who already have, don't be outdone by the Jews in our story who didn't fully understand who Jesus was and what he was doing. Don't be outdone. Praise him loud and often with shouts of praise. As we get ready to even close out here, as we sing the song, sing at the top of your lungs. Sing with meaning as if you really meant what it is that you're singing. Take time this week to marvel at the workings of God, at the fulfillment of prophecy and of the Father's great love whose redemptive plan led Jesus to the cross. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning, for our time together, for your word. And Lord, as we think about your triumphal entry, we are reminded that you are our rightful king. And Lord, you deserve all our love and our allegiance. Our lives are yours. So Father, I pray that you would remind us this week to meditate on these verses and to also seek ways in which we might share what you have done in our lives with others so that they too might come to know you and love you and want to serve you. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus and his great love for us. And it's in his name we pray, amen.